It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome to That Sports Merch Podcast with myself, Lee Hyde, and my co-host, Matt Hudson. How are you doing, Matt? Nice to have you back. I'm good, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Busy few months at the start of the year. I mean, how are we in mid-May already? That's mad in itself. But yeah, how are things with you? Yeah, all good. I mean, you've had a busier start to the year than, than I have, understandably. But yeah, all good at this side. Some exciting news. We've got some exciting news for the listeners. Um, we have, at That Sports Match Podcast, been picked up by Sports Social Podcast Network, a specialist network featuring hundreds of the best sports podcasts available. It's been a real treat, Lee. I think um, we're still in our early stages and we've got a ton of content still to come. So it's been really nice that uh, this organisation has spotted the potential in the podcast. Uh, that we think and hope that it has and kind of was really interesting to see where we can take it now we're part of that that wider family and there's some some brilliant other podcasts in there for people to listen to yeah it's a bit surreal to be honest isn't it when you look down the podcast list i mean there's you know david seaman's podcast you've got beef's podcast from from the golf world and some in, insane fan podcasts from certain football club fans and stuff so yeah it was um an absolute honor to be to be asked and to be kind of approached to to join the network but it'll also mean you know, we can really kick on with our podcast and um, take advantage of some great insight, some best practice, um, some really cool, neat new tools, which we're using to now output our content on. And yeah, it really gives us kind of that that next level of platform in order to be able to to kind of build on what we've done with the foundations of the podcast so far. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And as you say, there's a, a ton of really interesting podcasts out there across the rest of the network. So I'm sure over the, the passage of time, we might be hearing from some of those guys on, on our podcast and finding out about their experiences with sports merchandise and, and kind of what floats their boat when it comes to to our world and, and what we're looking at from week to week on our podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely listening to a few new ones already. So <laughs> hopefully there's a few of those guys start listening to us too, but it'll definitely give us more exposure, more reach. And hopefully increase our listener figures, which is obviously what we what we're looking for, I guess, ultimately. Right, flying into this episode, really interesting one, different angle for us completely, and kind of something that I guess crosses both of our previous roles within sport. Yours more through being connected directly with the club, and obviously mine through the licensing and, and retail side of things. But we talked to an ex professional footballer who's now finding his way in sports licensing, which I think is a really interesting angle. We speak to Jake Howells, who was ex-Luton uh, Town predominantly, um, about his journey and his transition into the world of professional sports business. And it's definitely something that we're really interested in speaking to Jake about, just trying to get some insight into that immediate transition from professional sport and how a pro athlete you know, gets into the right mindset and how they go on that journey to find something completely new. You know, It's almost like a fresh start for them. Definitely. And I think we, we spoke to me before speaking to Jake. It's probably a really opportune time to be kind of having this conversation with Jake and how he made that transition from uh, pro football to semi-pro and into professional life because end of the football season, it's a, a tough time for guys within the pro game. 
Are you waiting for that call from the manager to see whether you're going to be kept on for another season or if another club wants to pick you up? And for those guys towards the end of their career, it's definitely a time where they're thinking about what comes next and what professional environment outside of the game that might sort of float their boat if it's not in a coaching role within football. And Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Really challenging time. And we want to get under the skin of what pressure that puts on a professional athlete to kind of find that new career as well. Let's get straight into it. So on this episode, we're joined by Jake Howells, ex-professional footballer and now head of brand and licensing at FOCO. We're going to dive into the transition between leaving a professional athlete career and entering the world of sports business, uh, how that transition occurred and, and what Jake's experience of it was. Going to discuss a little bit about Jake's career and what the new nine to five looks like in terms of working in the sports merch industry. Jake, thanks so much for giving up your time. We're really excited to get into this one. Yeah, thank you for having me. It'd be good to talk about transition coming out of professional football into the business world, the industry, a lot of transferable skills, absolutely. But there's um, there's a lot that people don't really see when you come out of football, which I, I love talking about and I have done on, on a few other podcasts and things. So yeah, thank you for the uh, opportunity. No, great stuff. Really appreciate it. So for those listeners who who maybe don't know Jake and his career, we'll just give you a little bit of insight into where Jake played. And we'll talk a little bit about the accolades that Jake won early in his career. Um, so Jake, you started with, I think, going through your youth, it was kind of all in the Hertfordshire area. So Hemel Hempstead over to Watford, finally joining Luton shortly before turning pro. I think you turned pro in 2008 under Mick Harford. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. I was. Um... My dad always kept me back in terms of going into professional football. I was lucky enough to be in the the county team full of Victor Moses, Henry Lansbury. All of these guys were all academy players at, at top, top level clubs. And I was sort of still playing for Hemel Hempstead, which I loved. Um, and my dad's motto was always, if you're good enough now, you'll be good enough when you're 16, 17, which looking back on it now is the best advice I ever had and took from my dad. So it's full credit to him and holding me back. It got to a point where I was training with Watford, fantastic setup, great club, obviously, but I just wasn't enjoying it at 13, 14. So it, I then was just sort of focused on playing for Hemel on Sundays, just enjoying that football with my pals, playing for the school, district, county, the normal stuff growing up. And then Luton were knocking on the door nonstop. It was when young players were coming through and getting sold and playing at the highest level, Curtis Davis, Leon Barnett, all of these guys were really, really flourishing and, and coming through their careers. So I thought, it's close enough to home in terms of dad. He was bringing up myself and my brother and sister. So oh. single parents, not easy to travel in, the expectation, the dedication you have to do. But he got me there and I was training. And eventually, I probably got lucky. There was a few injuries to left back Sol Davis at the time. Started training with the first team quite regularly um, under a lot of different managers. Kevin Blackwell, um, Mike Noll at the time. Loads of old school managers at that period at Luton. And then Mick was temporary manager for the, the last remaining games. Trained probably last two months of the season, that season um, in League One, pretty much fighting relegation. We had minus 15 points, so we knew where we were going to end up. Yeah. And um, I started to travel to big clubs, sitting on the bench, not involved in the squad at all at Notts Forest and Doncaster away, all these amazing clubs. And then I knew Mick always told me, you will get your debut this year. I, I, I promise that will happen. And um, last game of the season against Huddersfield at home, we were it was nil-nil. I come on, don't sound great, but they scored straight away. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it was my fault, but I was playing left back and Don Hutchison was centre-half. And I'm pretty sure he blamed me without blaming it to me to my face, without denting my confidence yeah. um, in the nicest possible way because it's a ruthless world. But 
yeah, I mean, for me, it was just an amazing occasion and um, forever grateful to Mick. And I've always still connect with him now and speak to him as much as I can now because he's a, an absolute legend in football and Luton. So it's, um, it's nice to catch yeah, up. He's quite a name with Luton, isn't he? Definitely. And really your early career really flourished. I mean, you know, 2008-9, young player of the season, 2009-10, young player of the season, 2010-11, young player of the season. I think you're only the second ever player in Luton history to win that three years consecutive. You know, you played in the Football League trophy, winning it in 2008-9. And was that first season or the second season, that one? That was the second season. So that was that was when we got relegated from League One to League Two. I played every round, barring the final um, of the Johnson's Paint at Wembley. I think we took 40-odd thousand fans there. Scunthorpe incredible. took another 25,000. Just to be involved on that day was incredible. But we actually beat... In the, I think it was the Southern final of the Johnson's Plate, we beat Brighton on penalties. Nice. And that was when Brighton had the track around the, um, their pitch there. So, yeah, it's just crazy to think that's where Brighton were then and where they are now. Same with Luton. It's just, yeah. it's a different world. Absolutely. I think at 21, you became Keith Keane left. You know, at 21, you became Luton's longest serving player at that, at that moment in time, which is, is quite bizarre when, when you kind of think how young you were. By the age of twenty three, you had three hundred appearances. Yeah, you know that is. That, <laughs> you look at you look at some players. I think there's been a couple of players that I've seen on on social over the last few weeks that have racked up three hundred professional appearances, and they're like they've had injury ravaged careers for sure, but they're in their thirties. You know, so to do that mm. by by twenty three, you're pretty much playing every game of every season for a sustained six, seven seasons? Yeah, and I think I was quite fortunate, really, really fortunate with injuries, the right managers, consistency. I was young, I was fit. I was so dedicated out of season. I was still running every day when I'd come home. It was, I think I was so driven and motivated, again, transferable into sort of the business career as well. But I was just, I was just relentless that I'd come back to pre-season the first day back. I'd have to be at the front of the running. I'd make sure I'd win every running. No, I wouldn't go near a gym. It just wasn't. I just didn't have no, no passion for that. Decent at a bleep test, then, are you? Oh, so I'd win that. <laughs> I'd win that hands down. Um, and then later on in my career, when John still come to Luton, we used to do like one minute, two minute runs, they were called. So you're around the pitch, you're spread out in, in pairs and you literally go as hard as you can and run as quick as you can for a minute around the pitch and you overtake people and it, it was relentless. Um, and we used to do it in, in Portugal every year as pre-season. It was the best and the hardest running, but I was adamant in my head. No one would beat me on that. And it was just, it's just how I was. Um, so yeah, I was got lucky. I, I had no bad injuries. I don't know whether it was good or bad. I played that many games so young because it affected me further on in my career. Um, cause oh, the, the body just, it, it's just relentless. Like you say, I played every game, Saturday, Tuesday. I was still a, a boy growing up. It learned so much of experience on the pitch. It, could, it had no value to it. It was incredible. Um, and I probably yeah, should have moved on looking back at it at certain periods, but football is what it is. I've got to ask, as, and I, I probably should be fully transparent with you about being a York City fan. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 2011-12 conference playoff final. Obviously, one you probably don't want to remember, but playing at left back, <laughs> Matty Blair's goal, offside, just a bit. <laughs> Blimey, I'm sure you've seen the thing. <laughs> I mean, you need to ask Keith King because it was his man for one. But I remember <laughs> Keno going absolutely mental at the linesman because he let him go offside, knowing that he'd be offside if he poked it in. He did. 
and it, yeah, we got nothing back of it, but we obviously scored early on. Andre Gray scored after. T- yeah, yeah. First few minutes. It was probably the, the worst thing that happened because we thought, wow, we're going to, we, we thought we won. After all them years in the conference, we thought we've done it. And York, obviously, as you know, one of the rivals through the conference seasons because they beat us in the semis and it was always a tough game. But yeah, it was just cra- it definitely offside. We won't talk about the different since then and, and where the two relative teams are nowadays <laughs> that's been my yeah <laughs> you, I can say. you definitely win on that one 2013-14 conference premier title promoted back into league two you know so you'd had the the real early stage of your career you'd had kind of the through no fault of anybody's the fall from kind of league one into non-league obviously with the administrations the points deductions and you know everything that was going on in the turbulent world of, of Luton Town at that stage 2013-14 start the climb back up to to what is you know and what has been since incredible 2015 you mentioned John Steele earlier um you, you asked to leave yeah i think you've you've said in in other interviews in hindsight that was probably you'd have probably taken a different decision or maybe given it a little bit more time what was the driver there in terms of wanting to move on, wanting to try something different. A new challenge. I got way too comfortable in my own football career, in my own life, that I weren't getting the best out of myself. I weren't giving the best to the fans, the club, because I was so comfortable. I was The fans absolutely adored me and I, I fought the world of them. They've always looked after me and supported me. But it was getting to a point where I was playing games and games and ticking off loads of games, but I wasn't developing as a player. And... Oh. It, Again, hindsight, I had great offers on the table before that and probably should have moved on when the, the opportunity to go to the, the highest club at that earlier on in my career. But I, I loved playing for Luton Town and it got to a point I had to make a decision. I had one year left on my contract and Luton ultimately were always going to go back up. League Two's not a doddle by any chance, but a lot easier to get out of than conference. Yeah, And I had a, an offer on the table that had changed my environment that uh, to be honest, I had a few, but the one that I really wanted to go to, it just, it was perfect for me. Eventually, it got sort of prized out with the, the target on my head was too much for the club to pay, um, which happens in football. There's not an issue. I then oh. sort of, I lost my squad number at Luton, which was painful to say the least. It was hurtful. Yeah. Um, no, again, no, no fault to the club at all. It, they had to do it and they took away my 11 shirt. Um, I trained with the youth team up until Christmas. And then Andy Orford, who was then temporary manager when John Steele left, he we had a board meeting. We sat down with Gary Sweep, um, Dave Wilkinson, and they basically said, you've got to play. We've got Exeter away. We need to relift the club. We was having a bad patch. You know how to get the club going. We have to make a statement. And how we're going to do that is by putting you back in the squad and you're starting Saturday. At this point, I was probably about a stone overweight in terms of playing. Because um, <laughs> I've played with, I've been training with the youth team. I hadn't played a game in six months. I was I was well off the level that I should have been at. And um, yeah, we played Exeter away. I remember getting cramp on the on the goal line. I cleared cleared one off the goal line, three two, last minute at Exeter away, and I got cramp. And I just laid there thinking, God, this is this is not great. I don't feel good <laughs> just at all. Yeah, just blow the whistle. <laughs> we come away three two. I then played. Uh, four games under Warford and until Nathan Jones come in give me a new lease of life when Jones come in the most accurate detailed coach I've seen on the training ground um, he covered every blade of grass and every bit of training we did played me at left back played me in the diamond which was so successful at that time um, loved every minute and then I got a knee injury as I was shielding the ball to the keeper in a 
a league game on a Tuesday evening. I remember it. Got home, it, my knee blew up. First injury I ever had. I had to have an op with about six weeks left of the season. Knew my contract was up. So I had the op, got back fit again, just drive to get back fit knowing I was out of contract. And the club just made the decision that obviously I made the choice to, to ask to leave 12 months before. So they had to stick by that. And Jones respected that. Hindsight, maybe Jones would have kept me if it was his own decision. I'm not sure. But again, I, I absolutely adore the club. I'm still close with Gary and Dave Wilkinson now. Many of the players, the coaches, the, the staff, um, the kit men, receptionists, everyone you can imagine. They're such a family club. And um, yeah, I'm proud to, to you know, the, the downfall that they had and I was there to get to where they are now. I'm, I'm really proud. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I think when you've had you know, eight, nine years at a club and it's been over 300 games for it. It's, um, it's understandable that you would still have that connection. Yeah. And obviously you, you, you still get back there as often as you can and, uh, you know, love to take the games in and, and that kind of thing. And, and why wouldn't you? So in, in terms of leaving Luton, um, I know you, you went on to play for a number of other clubs that were probably accessible to you in terms of travel and, and that kind of thing. A season at Eastleigh season with Dagenham, went out on loan at Ebb's Fleet, season with Billericay. And then as we get to more kind of recent times, uh, a couple of years, Hemel Hempstead and a, the odd game for Kings Langley, I think. Yeah. Um, in, in 20, as recent as 2021. So yeah. kind of beyond you making that transition, there was obviously still an appetite to, to kind of get that football fix and stay active yeah. as long as you could. Or Do you know what? It's, it's a weird thing because of coming out of pro football, not falling out of love because I didn't fall out of love with football at all. But you you realise how good it is when you are at the top level. And coming down, yeah. I still absolutely had an appetite of playing football. But I then got into the business career when I, I think it was when I left. Well, yeah, I left Billericay and went part time when I went to Hemel and was captain at Hemel. And that's when I got um, into the business career of Foco. I slowly realised that you either commit to one or the other. Um, Sure. And I was solely driven and putting everything out. You know, it's like being a scholar again when I went into FOCO because you're coming at a base level and you have to build yourself. You have to build the network, build who you are. You've got to prove yourself, the trust, and gain that, you know, experience in the industry. So for me, it was like being a youth team player again going into FOCO and I couldn't do, I couldn't do both. Yeah. So I give everything into, into FOCO in terms of travel, meeting people, being out there, doing everything you can. So, um, yeah, I had to make a choice. I haven't looked back since. I've never missed kicking a ball. I've got my eldest now plays at Luton and he's, he's, he's doing well for himself and I support everything he can. I've got 
two other younger boys that whatever they choose to be, I don't know, probably Spider-Man by the sake of it at the minute, but <laughs> as long as they're happy, I, you know, I'd never push them into anything football-wise just because of, that's what I did because it's a brutal, brutal world uh, and it's getting harder and harder to, to make these days. Jake, you mentioned there, obviously, as you made your way through those non-league clubs that the, the need for something to come next became ever clearer, but even in your latter days at the kind of professional level, had you had some thoughts about what came next and what you wanted to do or was it something that just kind of came upon you as, you as you needed to make that decision towards the end of things? It was more, to be honest with you, when when you're in that football bubble, it's more ego. So I was never, it never, the PFA do as much as they can to a degree um, in, in all respect and fairness to them. They come in, they visit the scholarships, they, they put you on courses and try and guide you into coaching if that's the route you want to do or any other opportunities. When you're in that bubble of being a professional footballer and you've got your, your surname on the back of your shirt, you're not thinking about doing any other job in that period. As fickle as it can be, you don't think 10 years down the line, I'm going to have to have a job. You think, I'm going to live to my needs now and I'm going to have the best cars, I'm going to have the best nights out, I'm going to go on the best holidays and nicest clothes, I'm so on trend and all this. When you look at it, rubbish in, in complete truth. So when you when it gets to the end of your career and you're slowly slipping down the ladder and the money's not quite there and it's you're not living to them needs and you're you're not quite that person on night out that pays for all your pals and everyone's looking at you differently because that tagline's not quite there as a pro footballer, then it's a big adjustment mentally more than anything, which I found out very quickly. Luckily enough, I think I'm quite I'm quite subtle that I'm proud to be a footballer and I enjoyed every bit of it, but also realise that I've got a young family that are more than more important than then, you know, my ego of who I was and what I did. Because, um, yeah, no one's going to pay my bills for me apart from myself. So it's just the real world and that's just how it is. And it, not enough footballers are probably honest in saying that they look outside of their career. And I think now all of my pals are coming to the end of their career, slipping down the leagues and they're doing conference, conference south. They're now asking me, how do you get into it? What do you put on your CV? Can I have a job where you are? Because it sounds like a dream. I, I just get to work in football, but they're on the retail side. And some of them, I have to say, I don't think you've got the right mindset to step into this world quite yet. Because mm. um, you can't. And licensing especially is this only industry, as you guys know, that you can't just step into it and think, oh, it's just going to be a doddle. You really can't. So it, it's a mindset thing I found, leaving football. Um, and you have to commit yourself to the business industry like you would being a footballer. Yeah. You, you mentioned the PFA there and certainly my sense from being involved in the game is that as the years have gone on, they've got better and better in terms of supporting that transition and supporting guys out of football rather than it being the falling off the edge of a cliff almost when you kind of step away from the programme. Do you, do you feel like they've kind of got that mix right at the moment? Do you feel like they're getting better at it? I think I think it's definitely improved. I think you're completely right there. And I, I know Trent Alexander released a, mm. a course recently, which is absolutely exceptional and it's amazing that he's doing it. And there's a group of ex-pros and current pros that are going to support that. So that's incredible scheme and program that they've got going there. I think it's, it, as much as PFA can do and put it on the table for you, it does come with in the actual person and the, the footballer to want to go and do it. Yeah. And again, put down, lay down your your big ego of I'm a footballer and say, actually, hold on, I'm in the real world when I leave football because, and then coming into the real world, you're going to come in at, at base level, whatever industry you're going to do, unless you're, you're lucky enough to invest your money at that time to earn that money to invest. You're coming in at the lowest point when all of your pals have probably been doing it for 15 years. So their manager, higher level or whatever the career they're doing, you've got to realize you're probably coming in at the junior level and you have to prove yourself. So 
it, it's a wake up call, and it's going to be interesting in the next couple of years for me personally to see my pals how they adjust to to the real world. Yeah, definitely. Was was there a plan, Jake, in terms of the roles and the the careers that you were looking to apply for? Did you have something? Specific, you mentioned as you started dropping down, obviously there was a, a change in mindset and mentality and, you know, almost an admittance to yourself that you need to sort this out. You need to stand on your own two feet. You need to be accountable. Um, w- was there always a plan in terms of the type of role that you wanted to do? Did you always see yourself kind of going into? No, I had no idea. Uh, being completely truthful, it was, I was completely blind. I think footballers are completely blind. And what I've obviously lucky enough to found out and and discover in my experience of working in the industry and, and business, there's so much out there that in football you have no idea. Yeah. Probably similar, vice versa, in, in football people wouldn't see. But it, there is a completely different world. Um, the adjustments you have to make are, are so key. And the, even the way down to talking to people daily, from a dressing room to an, a, another employee, as someone else in your team, they're all absolutely transferable things that you can carry across, but there's so many, so many things you have to adjust. But I had no idea. I always wanted to work in an office. I think that was always something that I had in my head that I liked the idea of working your nine to high five, go home to your family. And that I, I always had that in my mind. That was something I wanted to do. But no, I never, never thought sales or licensing or products or anything like that. I had no idea being, being completely transparent. I just was willing to learn and listen. Sure. And, and you started with FOCO in December 2019, I think it was. So tell me about how that came about, how you found the application process. I'm guessing it's the first time you kind of had to, had to go through applications and, you know, put in your CV and you know, <laughs> your letters of application in. And as you've, you've mentioned, there's, there'll be a lot of transferable skills, definitely in, in terms of working as a team, you, you know, that, that kind of right men the winning mentality that kind of positive mindset and and that kind of stuff um i'm Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that stood you in good stead for a career within business but in in terms of that journey from getting into the mindset of right okay i need to sort this out i'd like an office i'd like the structure i'd like the nine to half five tell me about that journey from knowing the things on that short list that you wanted to actually land in that position with foco how did you find that it, it's different, completely different to anything I've ever done in my life. For one, I've never owned my own laptop, it, um, hmm. good or bad, ugly. I've never gone on Excel and said, this is what I need to do, made formulas or anything like that, Word documents. Um, so I made a CV with my pal, best friend, and, and we just said, look, if it's only on there and it is only on there, you've got football career, then put it on there. And what you need to do is when you have an interview and when you hopefully get an interview, because I put it on an Indeed and just saw roles, I saw football, I put anything in sports that I can relate back to, just apply for. And FOCO come back, I think it was a recruitment company, and said, look, you've got an interview with FOCO. Did your research about it? I was probably the most nervous I've ever been going into an interview, miles miles ahead of any football match I ever walked onto a pitch. It, as strange as it probably sounds, playing at Wembley and all these amazing yeah. opportunities, but walking into that office is the unknown for me, I didn't know who I'd meet. I wasn't comfortable in my environment. I didn't know what on earth selling or products or how it all worked at all. So I was completely blind. And all I could do is say, look, I, I was lucky that Paul Paul Hodgson, the MD, was had a background in football uh, a, a long time ago. But he he understood that there's there's a lot of skills that you have to have to get to that level. Sure. 
and he took a punt, to be honest. It was complete risk from them to take me on board. I come in at a sales account manager, didn't care what the salary was, didn't care what the package was. For me, it was an absolute dream. I absolutely loved the first six months of my probation and, and working at FOCO. My role was pretty much get out there, <laughs> annoy as many clubs as you can by getting in the door and, and in the in the right way, obviously, and, and let them know who you are. Easy conversation started saying what my background was. It was it was a lot easier to talk to clubs when I, I walked into a club shop. And it was just build your own network from there and eventually grow. Um, looking back on it now, it was probably not the best idea at the time going to 100 clubs across three months because you can maintain that level and focus across each club. But again, it was it's all experience. I could sort of, now I'm lucky enough, I could tell you where each club store is, what who runs it or anything like that. So you had to do the groundwork before you sort of move up. So yeah, that that's sort of how it happened. I got to sales account manager where I started, did all of them road, road trips and, and really built out my network on my own. Um, and then at that point, FOCO didn't have a licensing department at all. Um, yeah. It was just run by Paul and his contacts and his experience, which was, it's been incredible. Um, we only had 16 licenses at the time I come in. Paul's, sort of route and what he wanted to create was he wanted me to drive a whole licensing team. He felt like I had the the skills to build that, build a team around, you know, the approvals, these sort of people that you need in the business, juniors that you can develop and grow and, and get the right culture in the building. And he wanted me to go to every club that I can and get a license that we could build enough exposure traffic for our own platforms by having the uh, the not so bigger clubs like the Plymouth Argyles, but the the core mm-hmm. fan base that more passionate probably than a lot of the bigger clubs because they're loyal regardless of what league they're in your fan will will still buy the merchandise because they support and love their club so I went out there and I got up to 72 licenses we, we were working with and we work globally now around 100 licenses ranging across NFL Plymouth Argyle Ipswich Man United all, everyone you can imagine um, NBA the Liverpools everyone Everyone, we, we got through that. Again, a huge learning curve in terms of licensing. Again, I had no background in that. A lot of it is relationships, I found out, and understanding of royalties, monetizing what you have in a license, making it work, what products work under a license on our platform. There's so many different angles that I learned and picked up along the way when I come into that licensing role. And I'm, again, I'm so lucky and fortunate I had Paul that I could lean on for everything that I wanted to do. And he, he kept grounding me and pushing me as much as I can in the last 18 months. It's, it's been incredible. It's been tough. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard to be on the road, be in Manchester, you know, on a Thursday evening and be Friday morning, be in Swindon. It's, it's, it's tough work, but it's sort of, you've got to do it to build that structure in the team and, and lead by example is, is the biggest thing. Yeah, sure. Sounds like you had a great opportunity in your, in your interview there to find some common ground with Paul and, but I'm sure, you know, that recognition of what it's taken you and the determination and the, the mindset to get to where you did in your professional career, you know, that's what he saw in you. And that's why he took a punt because he, he knew that you could likely transfer those skills into, into business. And then, you know, to, to pick up juniors underneath you as you developed more is, is probably the same as you being a, you know, an experienced campaigner and bringing the youth lads into the setup and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's a lot of synergy between the world that was your domain for, you know, so many years compared to the world of business, you know, and it, as much as they contrast each other and you'd, you'd look at the two and think they're completely different, you know, the actual skill set and the, probably the, 
the kind mm-hmm. of mentality and traits that you pick up in terms of leadership and that kind of thing, you know, have stood you in really good stead. You mentioned there when you were putting your applications out and you're on Indeed and you were going after anything with a keyword of sport or football so that you had something that you could connect with mm-hmm. and yep. and have that initial opening conversation about I mean, to, to fall into sports merchandise and, and, and licensing from that football career. I mean, that must be, it must be great in terms of it. It keeps you with a foot in the door in the game that you love. Is, is that how you're finding things? And Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know what other industry I could have gone into, but I'm so very, very, and you're completely right. It was a stroke of luck that I walked into the FOCO office for my first interview and Paul took a risk that, the skills he knows to take to get that to professional athlete was something he see in business and he understood business. But it was, um, it's just interesting how they are so aligned in terms of a, a football dressing room to, we're not the biggest of businesses in the UK. Obviously our, our FOCO US business is, is huge and growing and so are we growing in the UK. But we have around 35 people in the UK office and that is, it's a football dressing room, a family feel. And the culture, we're open space, so everyone can hear everything's going on in the business. And sort of, I know we might touch on it anyway, but the the culture that I try and implement in the business is very much a positivity, a winning mindset of let's try and action and get things done. What we're doing every day is amazing, but how can we get to the next level and keep driving in that way and, and that desire to do that? It's, I, I, again, I'm, I'm so lucky that I can have an interview with a club and go to the stadium, whatever team it might be, yeah. and still look at their results before I go and do my research and think, oh, I, I remember playing against that player and it's an easy conversation for me to have. Because a lot of the clubs who run the retail or part of the club are fans of the clubs. They're passionate about their own club. So it's nice that I can go in there and have a, a conversation about an ex-player or a current player, their current captain, and say, oh, I remember playing against them or I remember playing at your own ground. I did it recently at Wrexham. I, I went down to Wrexham um, and I said, I, I remember playing here many a times in, in the playoff days for Wales, played here. Incredible what the journey you're on. I bet the transition right now is, is quite insane. And it was just a nice conversation that I could have. And obviously, I, I, I also try and reflect as much as I can because I think it's quite key because we're such a fast-paced industry and especially our business, we're so fast-paced that when you take an hour to reflect, and that might be talking to my wife or talking to my dad about how work's going, that hour I reflect, it actually shows how much I'm taking in at the same time because I'm spilling out so much to them. They're like, bloody hell, you have you have been doing some stuff then because it's, it's not just a, a jolly up going to Wrexham and talking football and all, all these things. So yeah, it, I absolutely love what I do. I'm more than, more than aware I've got so much learning and listening to still go. The, the amount I've climbed in, in the business in the, in the levels at FOCO is quite astonishing and it just shows to be honest and it, it's a good example to the rest of the business junior or not that if you do put in the, the work and, and keep working hard that you you get your rewards and yeah I'm a proud proud example of that you've alluded to it a couple of times Jake but football is very much not a nine to five job um, you're in something that mm-hmm. is a bit of a nine to five job albeit it sounds like there's a lot of traveling involved. So what does a, what does a typical day look like if there is indeed a typical day? Um, to be honest, I don't think, I think the modern day is very much that you don't really switch off. Unfortunately, you're always, emails are either coming through. And I think the, yeah, with, with the pandemic, the involvement of teams is really sort of alluded that there's no switching off. You're sort of 
anything that happens, especially in the industry we are with football, where Haaland scores the most goals in the Premier League, how can we get a product? How can we get to Man City to, to make something happen there, get a range out? So I don't really switch off. I don't see there's a, a nine to five. I understand absolutely that for, for, for people there are, and I completely respect that and support them because you need them people in your business as well because they know how to switch off, which is not an easy skill. But yeah, for me, it's sort of, I'd get to work probably around quarter past eight in the morning. Um, we don't start till nine, so I try and get a little bit of time where it's a little bit quieter in the office and plan out what I, what I want to achieve in that day. Normally do a little, I, I speak to Paul on the way in in the car, um, catch up, any big projects, anything he spoke to the US about in the previous evening, get lined up for the day. Um, try and sit for as, as many people as I can, sit in as many as meetings as I can um, to a degree, just to keep learning what's going on day to day and reporting it back to Paul so he gets an understanding. And just take it by that more than anything. It just I think pretty much my role predominantly at the minute is just drive, is hunger, drive, action, make sure things happen. Um, right now, for example, we're probably on the best year we've ever had at FOCO. Last year was fantastic. We're looking for over 11% growth this year if we can make it happen, which for, for us is, is, is incredible. But we've just got to make it happen. The sort of big thing for me is how do we make it happen? Is there any challenges at the minute we can see? If so, how do we eliminate that? And then just make sure we're, we're driving every day to, to get every possible angle and sale that we can. Um, and push people with it, it, to, to the right extent and know people's limits at the same time, How that, what pushes their buttons. And and yeah, that's probably the biggest thing for me, people relationships in, internally is what I'm doing. Amazing. I mean, your career with FOCO has pretty much set up at the same pace as those early days with Luton. <laughs> A couple of promotions already, <laughs> most recently to head of brand and licensing. So yeah. you've spoken a lot there about building up the licenses, building up the ranges, you know, double-digit growth forecast for this year which is incredible mm -hmm. what kind of additional responsibilities have come with being kind of head of brand and licensing that must carry some weighty kind of kpis and, and targets and bets yeah it does oh god yeah again things it's so weird when you relate to a kpi if you said that to me three years ago i'd have no idea what on <laughs> earth a kpi is i'd google like does that is that even relevant in real life and all of these different business terminology so it's just it's, it just makes me happy that i understand when we have a, a business conversation with anyone i, I can understand and, and actually relate to it in terms of sort of my position now we created a junior board with me and two other people so i head up the brand the licensing um yeah. i'm a little bit more hybrid across all areas of the business now across the product team um only because I think licensing, it all comes back to licensing pretty much anyway. It all sits with you. You're the face of the business. So if a product's not going correct, you need, you need the club, then you're the, you're the person to go and make that call or create a meeting. You, it sits with you, good and bad. So I'm very much hybrid across every area of the business. And myself um, and two others are on the board. We feed back into Paul any sort of big projects, anything, decisions. It all goes for us free now, which... For me, it's, it's just incredible to, to sit on a junior board. Titles are titles. I think you guys know more than anything. A, a title is brilliant. It looks great on your LinkedIn, but yeah. it also also comes with a lot of pressure from where I sit in the business. Um, again, it's, it's maintaining that, managing expectations to the group, making sure the group's 
not getting that pressure. That's one of our jobs, and especially myself, is ring fencing that pressure and dealing with it in the right way and managing situations that come from above. So yeah, for myself, is I'm very much hybrid across every area. The safe pair of hands that people need, anything that they need goes right, goes wrong. And I'm, I'm definitely trying to implement that positivity. If anyone does anything that is rewarding, that we make sure we say well done and congratulations to people, whether that's stop coming in on time or a buy being placed that we get a discount at the factories, anything at all, um, you know, a win on an audit, for example, anything like this, I'm just making sure that we put in the teams group, well done to that person and make sure we are part of a family because it goes so far. And what I'm building at the minute and what we're doing as a business is very much every month, if we hit our target that month, we're going to do a company event. So in April, for example, we set up the guys to go to see uh, the new film Air, which is the Nike and Michael Jordan film. Oh, yeah, so the whole yeah. group went and saw that because we hit our April number. So every month we're going to try and do things. We've got Foco Bingo this month just in our canteen with pizzas coming in. Nice. Yeah, some really cool stuff. But I think the reaction and the feedback you get from the group and the willingness to do a little bit more extra and really get over the line on certain things, it's, it goes a long way. And that's definitely transferable from when I played football in the dressing room, you know, giving people that respect and love and attention that they need, it just helps and it goes a long, long way for people. So, um, yeah, for me, I'm lucky enough to be on a junior board with two others and I'm very much hybrid across a lot of areas of the business. Yeah, I was going to say that rewarding individual success as well as team success is 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 another really obvious link back to the professional athlete environment and the sports team environment mm-hmm. so what um what have been your highlights so far what's what would you say the the best part of your role with foco is if, if i had to kind of nail you down to one i think naturally the, the progression of going through business and getting promotions and and packages and these things that have come with the territory is, is fantastic I think for me, not too recently, um, I got a new account on board in terms of business development in Castor, who oh. come flying into yeah. the, the, the sporting world with kit sponsorships, retail, the, the sort of the new fanatics on the block, if you like. I've been sort of grafting away for probably 18 months to try and really knock on the door and get in there. Eventually got in there completely new business and, and worked my way up and they're probably this year they're going to finish on probably about 1.5 million which is nice. for us completely new business we're lucky that they have a lot of clubs under their belt and they're growing very very quickly and we're now part of that business which is amazing so for me that was a massive win um, in terms of another big win which runs parallel is getting the Bayern Munich license I think the, the culture that they have and that they're so regimented in, in especially by Munich and Germany that they're so on it and that you have to be, you, you turn to a meeting and you don't have the relevant information that they require, they won't listen. So again, that was a long project that I wanted to get in the door. So we signed a 10 year deal with Bayern Munich, which for us is incredible, especially with the growth we're doing in, in Europe and growing our Amazon platform. Also club direct supply with them. So they're actually selling it at the minute and they keep topping up their orders, which is nice as well. So I'd probably say them two big highlights for me, but also probably in a, in a strange way, another highlight is the two younger juniors, Steph and Ellie, that I bring in on board in the licensing team. Had no experience previously and where they're at now is quite um, amazing, to be honest. To see, yeah. it's like it's relating back to football, two youth team players getting in the first team and now being consistent and playing every game 
um, and being key players first on your team sheet if you if you want to compare like that. So yeah, them two as well, where they've got to and what they do day to day now, um, I'm really really proud of as well. So I'd probably say them three things without being <laughs> being too greedy. Oh, that's fantastic. It's good to really good to hear, and you know, it's nice that we're able to give that recognition to to other members of the team as well in terms of that joint success story. You know, leading all roads lead to the same goal, right? Oh, absolutely. Obviously, that your team at Foco are well known for developing some pretty unique products. Um, is there anything with some sort of high expectations in the pipeline at the moment that you're able to tell us about? Anything that's going to catch a few of attention? We get a lot of weird and wonderful products from the US because of just their market and anything works over there in fairness. It just They're so passionate about their franchise, NFL teams, NBA teams, that we get a lot of products from them. So at the minute, it was a big big craze over there last year. It was, it's, they're sort of like these light-up chains. In the UK, I'm not sure how much is going to work. That we, We've got LED chains that we're potentially going to offer to for the NFL games which have been launched today which are in Frankfurt which we're going to offer to fanatics that they can sell on site they were huge in the MLB when Paul went out there and he watched he said literally 35,000 people had these chains on Um, they're plastic chains they've got an LED light up of the team (laughs) I don't think any Premier League any championship any football club would go near them with a barge pole in complete truth but in Europe the 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 market's not too dissimilar to, to the US. They're very charismatic and out there and eccentric about their own brands. And I found that out when I watched the NFL in Munich compared to the game at Tottenham. The fan base and, and the, the watching watching human is so different to what the UK person. In the UK, it was a day out. I, I took my LDS, he watched it. It went on too long for him and he was a bit bored. In Munich, they were watching every play. They knew every player. They knew the change. They, they, they knew everything. And I was a bit blown away by it. Um, so yeah, I think new product wise is, is, is these chains. Um, I'd love to, to feedback if we do get any orders on it, but yeah, probably two years down the line, it'd be a, a huge craze in the market, but I hope not. So that's the new one coming from, from the U S a big push. Obviously you guys probably know we we have our Brixels, which are our construction toys, which do incredibly well. Um, last year we had a huge order through game, which is sports, sports direct, Fraser's group we had a massive order with our mini Brixel stadiums so we rolled out across 10 probably 10 to 12 teams um, mini stadiums which went hugely well done fantastic and we, we've just got a reorder on that which is again massive numbers for us towards our best year so things are going well in terms of products and new ideas but Brixel certainly to, to our, especially coming into the peak trading Q3, Q4 for us it's, it really does fly um, and then your gnomes, which everyone, <laughs> I don't know where the sales come from because I've never seen one outside the office in, in complete truth, but someone is buying a lot of them um, and they just keep doing well. And we've got, we've got a Rabona gnome coming out this nice. year. Um, nice. So this is how he gets on. Yeah. And, and obviously everything sounds really positive at the minute and you kind of looking even further ahead to see Euro 2024 next year. Is that kind of on your radar and, and plans for that in play already? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, well, myself currently negotiating it with um, Fanatics in, in terms of the Euro branded license. Um, we have the, all of the home nations, so the England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Republic, whoever qualifies, but we also have Germany national team. We have starting Monday a new employee who's going to head up the European development 
And the real aim for her coming on board is pretty much drive the European business, open up new channels with sort of retailers, the sports retailers in Europe, especially Germany. So you sort of decathlon, your, your sports check, these sort of guys and open channels for us and, and really grow. We, obviously, you have to plan ahead and we have to be quite in advance with any orders that come in for the Euros next year. You, you're relatively certain England and Germany will be in it. Um, so you can plan around that and get to the retailers such as Tesco who do a big program around that with us and try and lock in everything before September. It gives us a good opportunity to get here in time and selling period for, for all the retailers. We're coming up to the end of the time that we've got, Jake. Um, it's, it's been amazing to listen to the journey, the transition and how you kind of found that as a as an individual going through that process. It's often an insight that people outside of the sports industry don't get to hear you know they see the superstar athletes Mm -hmm. and they kind of just see them turn into a tv pundit or a you know doing tv adverts for gaming and gambling companies and personal appearances and that kind of thing so it's it's fantastic to really dig into somebody who's maybe taken a slightly different path and ended up in in business and and you know, in business relating back almost to that professional career, you know, with the, with the sports match. I know Fanatics and some of the companies over in the US do a great kind of veterans kind of business pathway where they'll take ex NFL players, ex MLB players. And, and I'm not, I'm not sure how the, the kind of configuration of it all works. They obviously work with playing bodies out there to to kind of facilitate that and and to kind of take interested people into their business Mm -hmm. is is there any kind of single piece of advice that you would pass on to current professional athletes whether they're you know footballers whether they're in different sports in terms of reaching the latter stage of their career and kind of planning forward for what the next steps look like rather than just allowing it to happen and just seeing where nature takes them. You, you've mentioned about obviously a couple of your pals are coming towards the end of their their playing careers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Are they conversations that you're having with those guys in terms of trying to pass on that that knowledge and that wisdom? And if so, what what kind of advice are you now able to kind of give about your experience and, and maybe how they should approach the next kind of 12, 18, 24 months of, of their life, I guess. Yeah, it's it's quite a hard conversation to have with these sort of guys that are still playing, like I say, semi-pro. They played at fantastic level in the Football League, earn really good money. Um, it doesn't last forever because they're not one of the big boys in the Premier League. They're now coming out of it. And the conversation I'm having and the advice I can give is learn as many skills as you can and detach yourself from that footballing world. Um, as quickly as possible learn as many like I say skills you can pick up and be prepared to listen and learn very quickly because it's it's very fast paced you've got to really knuckle down change the mindset to I'm willing to do whatever it takes you might not get to the role that suits you for a a good few years you definitely won't earn the money for a good few years so right now all you can do is, is just learn as many skills learn books podcasts which is obviously very much the common denominator right now there's so much out there for people to really look and develop themselves individually it comes down to mindset if people really do want to change their mindset and be positive and go and attack whatever role they want to go after then it can happen it's it take is you've got to be patient as well i think coming out of football thinking oh i should walk into you know an operations manager and earn 50k a year it's just not going to happen 
Um, and also the terminology of, of football in terms of money and salaries is completely different into the business world. So obviously in business, it, it's salary-based annually. When you go in football, it's per week. So again, that's a, it, it's, it's a change of terminology for footballers. You know, you come into to business and it's now you're looking at 30K per year. In football, you're thinking, hold on a minute, I, I'm on a grand a week. And that's just, that's the conversations you have. And that's just how it works. So terminology, understanding of what you're walking into. Don't think it's going to happen overnight. You're going to have to work extremely hard and do over and above to try and grow in that ladder. But be prepared to be stretched at certain limits and you'll be tired in different ways mentally more than you ever have when you've played football because that's more physical. And um, yeah, you, you just got to be patient. It's, that's all I can advise. And that's what I say to, to the boys now that it's not just going to happen. Whatever it, you can get in now and you pick up skills, whether it's in a job that you don't want to do, but you're still earning money and learning skills, you are still learning and it'll help you longevity of, of something you do grow into and find your feet in. Um, it, it just grow that way as much as possible. Keep learning and growing yourself. And that's, that's all you can do. Amazing. Good advice. Good advice. Sounds good to me. Jake, thanks so much for your time. It's, as I say, it's been really insightful. Yeah. It's amazing to kind of get under the surface of that transition. I think it's important. It's an important thing to discuss and talk about out, outside of, you know, what, what we do here on the podcast. It's just a, a, a general interest piece in terms of coming out of that bubble and that world of, you know, being completely mm-hmm. detached from certain things on the outside world and, and focusing so much on a professional career to to being able to almost flip that overnight you, you have to um to survive and you know sad, sadly some people don't and some people struggle and you know yeah. that's the, i think the more conversation that you can have about how prepared you need to be for for the business world the better in terms of everybody's kind of wider understanding of some of the challenges that professional sports athletes face and that that real kind of not just emotional challenge but you know the stress that that can put on people who are just used to something completely different it's you know the mental health yeah awareness and stuff that we've got nowadays it's it's so easy to just pigeonhole a, a footballer as somebody who only knows football you know they don't know anything other than football and you know, and I think that's a really unfair yeah. criticism that gets angled at a lot of sports people that they, they've been wrapped in cotton wool for so long that they don't really know the outside world and that kind of thing. So no, thanks for yeah. giving up your time and, um, imparting that wisdom and that kind of experience on us for, you know, the wider public to, to listen to and, and hopefully take a, a good understanding of how that's all worked for you and the challenges that you've faced. No, my pleasure. Thank you very, very much for having me on. It's been uh, it's delightful to talk about it, to be honest. Again, I'm still reflecting even now when I was watching you guys about what what I used to do to where I am now. So <laughs> it's just how it is. But no, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. No, thanks, Jake. Really appreciate the time. Well, there you go then. That's the, uh, the end of episode nine. And uh, I think it's fair to say that Jake's been on a really interesting journey over the last few years. Undoubtedly, some of the things that made him such a successful professional footballer I played a really big part in him making that transition to the next stage of his life. Ultimately, though, Lee, I think um, it's fair to say that good people always find their way in life. And I think it's really nice uh, nice to speak to Jake and kind of find out a bit more about him. And it's clear from that conversation, he's just a good bloke as much as anything else. Yeah, definitely. I think that gives you a great starting point. Um, he was obviously, you know, thrust into a, a different world in terms of his applications that he was making and got 
you know, really, he says lucky. I think probably a little bit of fate, but also, you know, recognition from Paul when he interviewed him as to what skill set is required for somebody at that level of the professional game in terms of team and, you know, motivation and work ethic and all, all of those things really that stand you in good stead and are probably not recognised transferable skills until you really start thinking about it. You know, how can a professional footballer suddenly become an ace at brand licensing? But when you actually start to break it down, there's there was a lot in there that, you know, taking on new sales juniors and it's almost like they're a, a youth team player coming through and you're being the senior pro coaching them. Yeah, it all fits together really well. I think, you know, there's there's a lot in there that current pros or people even just looking for a change of career could kind of think about in terms of mentality, mindset, you know, getting yourself in the right place and and being prepared to to accept something that is a little bit foreign, a little bit outside of your comfort zone and challenging yourself. But yeah, there was loads in there, but you can tell from how Jake spoke and he's obviously a really good fit for that role that he's gone into and a couple of promotions since would probably um, back that up as well. Definitely. And, and off the off chance that there are current pros or semi-pros that have managed to come across this episode, I kind of hope it gives them some faith that there is something after football. You know, I think... Um, Stepping out of that dressing room environment and into a professional world is perhaps a bit kind of scary at first, but yeah, there's definitely opportunities out there for people if they're willing to to get their heads down and and kind of find the path that's going to lead them forward out of football, I guess, because it can be quite a brutal game and you need to know what is coming next. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think Jake touched on it there in his interview. He'd be more than happy to kind of have a chat with those kind of people as well and engage with those people if you know if they are listening to this unexpectedly should we say i'm I'm sure jake would quite happily um you know share some some of his advice and some of his personal experience as well definitely another really interesting episode lee um as you mentioned at the start there'll be plenty more to come now we're on the uh, the new network so we better get planning those future episodes absolutely we'll see you guys soon Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal.